Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Whenever you're a rancher or you live on a ranch and um, or, or you're a cowboy, whenever you your truck is, is not really... Uh, uh, you know, one of those show trucks that you always got clean and everything. Get in any cowboy's truck, a, a work truck, and it's usually going to be a filthy mess because he works out of it. it. It's a tool. He takes care of it, but you know, taking care of it doesn't mean that, you know, he spends all day long putting turtle wax on it. And whenever I first uh, met my wife and, and uh, my two charming, lovely kids, Riley was six years old, and um, we went over to the ranch house because we had an old swing set that my dad had out there that he said I could have for the kids. We lived about seven or eight miles away, seven or eight miles north of the ranch. So I took Riley with me over there, and my dad had a golf cart. And she asked me, she's like, can I drive that? Well, sure you can drive it, sweetheart. Come on over here. It's a golf cart, right? I mean, how hard can it be? So she spent 30 minutes just... Wee! Driving this golf cart. We got 3,000 acres. 3,000 acres, right? I'm over here by myself, 114 degree weather, taking this swing set apart. And I turn around in time to see her headed full throttle right at my pickup and put that golf cart right into the side of it. Wham! Now that may not seem like much. It may not seem like much, but my entire life, man, I, I drove these junkers, and, and so I'd finally had a good job where I could buy my dream truck. I was going to buy me a crew cab Ford with the 7.3 liter diesel in it, and I mean, I loved this truck. It became a ranch truck after that day. And um, anyway, I was just like, oh my gosh, she dented my truck, and Christy was like, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, and I'm like, nope. That is just, I'm going to leave it right there. And to this day, you can go see where she hit the side of my pickup. And that's just a reminder that, you know what, kids are going to be kids. Kids are going to be kids. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the first thing I asked her was, are you okay? Second thing I asked her, what were you thinking? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That was my fault. That was my fault. But there was another time that I was leaving work. And now I worked in Odessa and I lived at Kinosa where our ranch was. And I had about 30 miles of interstate, and then I had to turn off and get on this ranch road and drive it like 30 more miles. So I'm driving home, and I, and I know everybody's seen this situation happen. The trooper is in the right-hand lane. The speed limit is 70. The trooper's driving 50, and he's got about 3,000 cars behind him because nobody wants to pass him, right? Because they're scared they'll get pulled over. Well, by gosh, I ain't scared of nobody. Blink, 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 blink. Here I go, 70 miles an hour. I was going the speed limit, cruising down there. Of course, you don't make eye, talk, eye contact just in case, right? You're just like, I don't see him. Everything's going to be fine. Get up past him where I can see him in my rearview mirror. Blink, 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 blink. Scoot over. Woo! I was like, you got to be kidding me. What? Pull over. I'm already mad. Now, I need to say this before I go any further, because this story is going to get rank here in a second. And... I have, my dad, until I was in junior high, was the elected sheriff of Big Lake, Texas. There's nothing I hate more in this world. You want to make me fight mad, badmouth any police officer. So I am not badmouthing police officers. I'm just going to tell you what happened, okay? I just need to make that clear. 
I love law enforcement, still do to this day. So I'm sitting there and I pull over, and I guarantee you, 9,000, he waited for all the cars to pass by before he gets out, right? And all of them are like, <laughs> you know, because they were like, oh, he's going to get pulled over. He's, he sees all that. And sure enough, I got pulled over. And so I'm saying, I'm already mad. I knew I didn't do anything wrong. For once, my, my stickers were up to date. And I mean, I didn't know what was going on. So he walks up to the deal and I've got, I've got my driver's license ready. And he walks up and he's like, uh, sir, can I see your driver's license and your insurance? I was like, oh crap, I gotta get my insurance. So I open up my, my glove compartment and I pull out 17 years worth of insurance cards, right? But, not the current one, right? Not the current one. So I'm already mad and I'm like, I can't find my insurance. He goes, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And I looked at him and I said, to be quite honest with you, I ain't got the faintest idea. He goes, I pulled you over because you don't have a front license plate. Now, of all the things that he could pull me over for, now it's, it's a law in Texas, you have to have a front and back license plate. I had no idea that my front license plate was missing. It was probably when I was chasing that coyote through mesquite this tall. It doesn't surprise me that I lost it, you know. But I looked at this officer and I said, really? This is where things went south. He puts his hand on my door and he goes, sir, I am a trooper with the Texas Department of Public Safety, and if I pulled you over for no front license plate, then indeed you do not have a front license plate. I, no, I didn't explode, but I wanted to. I was mad. You know, and I wasn't questioning. It was just, it was a statement of surprise. And so I just got mad and I sat there and everything. He, he said, well, you can't find your insurance? And I said, nope. He's like, and so now I'm real mad, right? Not only am I going to get a ticket for no uh, license plate, I'm going to get a ticket for no insurance. And he walks back there and he's like outside the passenger side of his car and he's calling me in and everything. And I'm sitting there and I am just stewing and I'm sitting there looking out the windshield. So I just take off. No, I didn't do that. I'm joking. I'm joking. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I wanted to though. I wanted to. But as I sat there and I looked out, I saw something that changed. I'll tell you about that later. Hey, pardon me for just a second. We're fixing to hit the backside of this pasture, so it's time to step off and cinch them up. While we're down here, I want to see if you can help us out. We really do need a hand in this ministry, and the fact that you're listening right now means that you're riding with us. All you have to do is text SAVE THE COWBOY, all one word, to 77977, and you can help us out in less time than it would take to pull your rope down. Again, text SAVE THE COWBOY, all one word, to 77977. That's SAVE THE COWBOY to 77977. Thanks for the hand, pards. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's in the Old Testament. That's in the Old Testament. Old Testament's before Jesus came. Okay, the, the Old Testament, if you're kind of new to the Bible, it's broken up into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament talks about how much God loves us and how much we need a Savior, somebody that can take away the sins of the world. The Old Testament's all about how much we need a Savior. And this is one of those stories about why we so desperately need a Savior. Anybody ever had one of those situations where life just goes to crap? 
You're just sitting there minding your own business. You're, you know, you, you're not looking for trouble, but things just go south in a hurry. Well, there's one guy, and his name was David. Okay, David was the second king of Israel. He came right after Saul. Um, David was referred to in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. David is the guy that killed Goliath. Now, the cool part is, you know, I, I brought... I brought Griffin uh, a present from Israel, and it was a replica of David's sling that he used. He got an old stone out of a out of a dry riverbed, flung it at David, and kill, or flung it at Goliath and killed him. Well, I got Griffin uh, a sling, and it doesn't really look like much because it wasn't much. I mean, it's just two cords and a little leather pouch, or just kind of a leather piece of leather. And um, so I gave it to Griffin, and Griffin's like. Thanks. And then I handed him five stones that came from that very spot where David picked up the same stones. So that, that's who David is. Now, David went through a lot of stuff. And, and anyway, he becomes king of Israel. And, and we got to stand in the city of David, which is just, when I say right outside of Jerusalem, I'm talking about from here to that speaker outside of Jerusalem, okay? And so I always thought the city of David was Bethlehem, but it's not. It's an actual city of David. And that's what they called it. And so his palace is up here, and it's built on this kind of a, kind of a hillside. Well, you know, Ty talked about the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley comes up like this, and it goes up, and then it kind of makes another little hump, and that's where the temple is and all of that stuff. And the city of David's kind of on the front side of this hill. And so everything's either up or down. And where David's palace is thought to be, you're standing up there, and... Both sides. You can kind of see both sides down. And so David is in his palace one day, and he's just hanging out on the old balcony, and he spots something, a pretty little something. And she happens to be taking a bath. Her name is Bathsheba. <laughs> taking a bath, Bathsheba. Anyway, and that's how I remember that. And so anyway... To make a lot, I'm going to kind of breeze through this. I, I encourage everybody, go read the story of David and Bathsheba. But David falls in love with her, but she's married to a guy named Uriah the Hittite. And so what David does is he concocts a plan to take Bathsheba away, but he can't really take her away while the uh, husband is alive. But the husband's in David's army, so David calls his general, Joab, I think that was his name, and he tells him, hey, this guy, Uriah the Hittite, move him to the front lines. And so Joab makes him go to the front lines, and Uriah the Hittite is killed. Basically, David murders this guy. Maybe not with his own hand, but just as close. He murders Uriah the Hittite so he can have Bathsheba. So he gets Bathsheba, and they have, she gets pregnant and has a child. Now there's this prophet named Nathan. Okay, Nathan, God tells Nathan, hey, you need to go talk to David. So he tells Nathan uh, what to say. So Nathan goes up, he kind of knocks on David's door, and he's like, hey, man, I need to holler at you right quick. He goes, okay. He goes, I got a story to tell you. He's like, okay. And he said, so there was this guy that had one lamb. He was a poor man. He only had one lamb, and he took this lamb everywhere with him that, that, he, that he went. The lamb drank out of his own cup. The lamb slept in his bed. The, the, the entire world revolved around this lamb, and he was so poor, but he cherished this lamb so much because it was all he had. And then this rich guy comes along, and, wants, and he invites a bunch of people over to his house, and he wants to have a feast, but instead of sacrificing one of his own lambs, he goes and he steals the poor man's lamb 
and he killed it and fed it to his people. Can you believe that, King? And David is just blazergasted. Oh, I can't believe somebody is so blah, blah, blah. And he said, I'm telling you what, you tell that guy that surely he will repay that poor man four times. He will replace that lamb with four of his own and just goes off and like, he should be put to death and blah, blah, blah. And Nathan goes, and that's exactly what you did to Uriah the Hittite. And David's like, oh, dang it. Now, with the story of David and Bathsheba, we could talk about consequences of sin because something really bad happens as a result of David's sin. We could discuss how power can go to a man's head. We could talk about how looking at things that you shouldn't never leads to anything good. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how David reacted to his grave, grave mistake. How do you react when you mess up? When you know you're wrong, what goes through your mind? How do you handle those, those kind of those life-changing situations? Or maybe it's just kind of, maybe no big deal. But how do you react when you mess up real bad? You start making excuses. Well, you know, I know I didn't do that right, but, you know, uh, you start making excuses. Or do you just get mad? I, I, and, and I know that I've been guilty of this before. You know, when somebody gets mad at you, you think, well, I'll just get mad back and then we'll be even. Yeah, that, that never works. Or do you start blaming other people? Well, it's not my fault. If so-and-so wouldn't have done this, then, you know, or do you blame somebody when you mess up real bad? Or do you just hide out? I know I've been guilty of that. Something bad happens in my life and it seems like the world's ending and you just kind of go hide in your room. I did that not too long ago. Didn't know what else to do. Do you, do, you, do you go hide out or do you stress eat? Now, I'm just the opposite. That's why I'm so skinny. When I stress out, I can't eat. You hit the bottle, self-medicate, something alcohol, maybe something stronger. Or do you start comparing what you did with what others have done? Well, I know I messed up, but oh, so-and-so over there, he does a lot of things worse and nothing happened to him. You know what I mean? How do you react whenever you mess up? Do you treat other people bad? Do you throw stuff? Are you one of those guys? Because I've been known to throw stuff. One time I was in a golf tournament. I used to play golf, believe it or not. I wasn't that good. All you have to do is hit that little stupid ball. Shouldn't be that hard. So I got out there and I, and I dug a crater with like a three iron about that deep. And I finally got mad and shoved it in there and grabbed the putter from like 150 yards out. And I whacked that ball with that putter and I made it in the hole. Made me so mad I threw my putter and broke it. Had to putt with the one wood the rest of the time. Do you throw stuff? You hit stuff? How many of you have holes in the wall or put a hole in the wall? Kick the dog? Take all your anger out on somebody else? Or do you just sulk? Do you pout? You have a pity party with cookie dough and gummy bears? I don't know. I don't know how you handle it, but you've messed up. I've messed up. We're all going to mess up. How do you react when you have really, really, really messed up? Well, the first thing that David did when Nathan tells him this story and says, you're the one that did it. The first thing that David did, and there's something that we can all learn from this. This is what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. Whenever we mess up really bad, or maybe it's not even that bad because you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to get everything right. You know what? Despite what you might think, you're not perfect and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to hurt somebody else's feelings, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But the way that we handle it, if you want to handle it like a follower of God, a true follower of God, is you admit your mistake. You don't, make, you don't try to blame it on somebody else. You don't blow up. You don't try to compare it to somebody else. You just admit that you're wrong. But the thing is, the thing that I love so much about David's confession is, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. You notice he didn't say, I have sinned against Uriah the Hittite. He had him killed. I'd say he sinned against him. But that wasn't the top on, on David's list. Because David didn't really care what other people thought about him. He cared about what the Lord thought about him. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. The first thing that we need to learn how to do is admit when we're wrong. Now, now here's a little side note is that, you know, whenever I started working on ranches, I, I've been riding a horse my entire life. But whenever I started riding horses, you know, no longer was I riding the kid horses that my daddy bought me, okay? Suddenly, I was on these ranch horses, and contrary to popular belief, when you work for a place and they give you horses, they sell the good ones, okay? You've always got a string of horses. You may have one or two good ones, and the rest are, are young or not heads, okay? That's just the way it works. Well, when I started working for these ranches, I started getting bucked off a lot. Because they bucked a lot, and now a lot of that was my fault because I really didn't, I wasn't that great of a rider because, uh, you know, just riding in little play days and stuff doesn't really teach you how to ride. I mean, you can ride, but you learn a lot of stuff. But when I used to, when a horse used to buck with me, it was like I'd be going along, and then it would kind of get jostled around, and then I'd, and I'd be on the ground. I didn't remember anything that happened. And that seemed like it happened the first 50 or 60 times I got bucked off. Just be going along, and suddenly I'm like, and you're spitting dirt out of your mouth. You're like, what happened? You can't breathe, you know? But then one day, something happened, and a horse started bucking with me, and I, and I felt what he was doing. I felt when he came up. I felt when his front feet hit. I knew I had to get my feet out in front of it. You know what I mean? Things kind of slowed down. Now, did it really slow down? No, but no longer did it take me by complete surprise and dump me off on my head. This is what we're trying to learn today because a lot of it, you're going to make a mistake. Maybe you made a mistake this morning or maybe you made a big one this week or chances are you may make one this coming week. But the point is we're trying to slow this down so that whenever you do make that mistake, how should you handle it? The very first step is you have to know that you have sinned. Admit that you're wrong. Admitting you're wrong does not, it, it doesn't mean that you're weak. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Somebody that can admit when they're wrong and take full responsibility for it is actually someone of strength and intelligence. Anybody can blame somebody else. Anybody can get mad and blow up and all that. But whenever you do make that mistake, or maybe it's not even a mistake, maybe it's just a problem in your life that you don't have any control over and you find yourself just kind of starting to whirl off, in, you know, kind of like a, like a putter that's been chunked and you're just kind of twirling off over there. How are you going to react? The very first thing is if you have messed up, admit that you have messed up. Now, have you messed up against somebody? If you really do mess up, you've sinned against the Lord. 
And you know what? You're always, you, it's not going to be a one-time deal or a two-time deal or a three-time deal. We're never going to be perfect until Jesus Christ comes back and makes us perfect. We can't be perfect on our own. But the first thing to do is if you have messed up, admit that you're wrong, just like David did. So anyway, David says, I have sinned against you. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And this is what Nathan says. Nathan kind of says, this is what's going to happen as a result of your sin. Now, you have to understand that people back then were responsible for their own sin because Jesus had not come down from heaven to become the one sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world, okay? Jesus took the punishment for yours and my sin, but Jesus had not come yet. So everybody's sin was their own. So this is what Nathan says. He says, man, he said, you know what? Your household is going to rebel against you to the point that even some of your wives are going to be taken away from you and people are going to sleep with your wives right in front of you. And four of your sons are going to die, starting with the one that was just born. In verse 16, it says, David begged God to spare his child, the child that he had had with Bathsheba. The second thing you want to do whenever you have messed up, when everything seems to be crashing around you, when it just seems like the world is spinning out of control, is if you have made a mistake, you need to admit that mistake. Not to me, not to whoever you offended, but number one, to God. Admit that you're wrong. And the second thing that we can learn from how David, a man after God's own heart, even though he had messed up so bad, is he prayed about it. He went to the one person that he knew could do something about it. He couldn't do anything about it. He went and he begged God to spare the child. What is our natural reaction when things just get out of line? How do we handle it? Do we just, before we know it, we're in a tizzy and everybody around us is mad and we've said things that we're going to regret later and we've punched things and kicked holes in the wall and we've done all this stuff? Or can we slow it down and admit we're wrong? and then pray about it. Go talk to God about it. You sinned against God, go talk to God about it. Don't go talk to your neighbor. Don't go talking about other people. Go to the one person that can do something about it, that knows you most. Go to God in prayer. So anyway, David, uh, he, he begs God to spare the child's life. He, he dresses himself in sackcloth, which I'm not even really sure what that necessarily means it was some Jewish tradition or, you know, old time, Old Testament tradition. But he dressed himself in sackcloth. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't drink. He laid on a bare floor. He wouldn't even go to bed. I mean, this guy is distraught over what he did. And then he heard some of the servants whispering. And he knew. And he asked him, he said, did the child die? And they were scared because they were like, man, he hasn't eaten or anything when the kid's just been sick, but now that he's, he has died, what's, how's David going to react then? David did something that was just so far out of the normal way of how people react to stuff. In verse 20, this is what the Bible says, then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. How do you react whenever things are not going your way? Do you admit that you're wrong? Do you go to God in prayer? And do you pick yourself up, wash your hair, put on makeup? Well, if you're a guy, don't put on makeup. But, um, you know, iron your clothes or something. In other words, don't just lay there and feel sorry for yourself and let yourself go. That is not going to do you. You're not going to feel good. 
People are going to see that something is wrong, and you're going to walk around all mm, you with bottom lip hanging out. It, has anybody ever heard the song by Miranda Lambert, Not My Mama's Broken Heart? That's a great song. Here, here's, a, here's a little bit of a lyric. It says, go and fix your makeup, girl. It's just a breakup. Run and hide your crazy and start acting like a lady. Because I raised you better. Got to keep it together even when you fall apart. And that's true. There's nothing worse than just kind of, if, if you're sliding down the hill, you know, it, it's just wallowing in the mud puddle. You're going to slide down that hill. You're going to get bucked off. But the thing that you do when that happens is you can go to, you can admit to God that you've made a mistake. You can pray about it. But the third thing you need to do is pick yourself up. Change clothes, wash your hair, comb your hair, shave. I don't, whatever it is, don't go hide out and wallow in your self-pity. The next thing that David did. So he said, you know, his son's going to die. He, be, he, he confesses to God that, that he messed up. He begs God to, to, to spare his son, but he didn't. This child dies. So David gets up. Eat some, well, let's see, what did it say? Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, okay? And then the second, uh, the last thing that he did is he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. Hey, thanks for joining us for another clinic. Before you ride off, we have a special gift for you. Save the Cowboy has a brand new app available for iPhones and Android smartphones and tablets. You never have to miss another message, and we've thrown even more stuff in. There's a Bible, our full unedited clinics, cowboy devotionals, videos. You can even order our books or call and talk to me. That's a ton of stuff that will keep you riding right beside the Lord for years to come. Please download it by searching your app store for Save the Cowboy, and don't forget to lend us a hand if God has blessed you and you like what we're doing. Just text Save the Cowboy to 77977. That's Save the Cowboy to 77977. For Save the Cowboy, I'm Kevin Weatherby. Stay out of the wire.